We've been working through the book of Acts, and we're coming close to the end. We're rounding the last turn. And as we round the end of Acts, we are also rounding the end of Paul's life. Paul is about to be martyred for his faith. And something about Paul's life is at the end of it, as we're coming close to it, you will see that Paul is going after trial after trial. He is enduring through it all, and he's suffering, he's got pain, he has loss in his life, he feels alone and abandoned. And then, as all of this is happening, as he's going through a figurative storm, he faces a literal storm. And what I realized this morning is that this storm that he goes through, this is in a lot of ways another Jonah story. And this is a lot of ways another Noah in the ark story. And this is a story of Eden. And so we're going to follow Paul through this journey where he goes, he, he jumps onto a boat and he faces a storm. And there's a lot of beautiful imagery that we're going to see here. And so let me just paint the context before I read our verses. Paul has been in prison for two years. And then he appears before the king in this land, and he appeals to go see Caesar, who you could call the most powerful man in all the, all the world. And what he's wanting to do is, though he is under a trial, like a literal trial, he's facing these literal storms and figurative storms, he wants to take the most powerful news in all of the world, the gospel, to the most powerful man in all the world, Caesar. And on his way there, so he's in prison. He appeals to go see Caesar. They throw him on a boat with a bunch of other prisoners, with soldiers and with sailors. And he's got his two friends with him, Luke, the writer of Acts, and also Aristarchus. And, and as they're sailing, they stop at a place called Fair Havens. All right, now this is where Eden picks up. So a haven is a shelter. It's a place of safety. It's a place away from the chaos, and this is exactly what Eden is meant to be. And they're about to leave Fair Havens to go travel somewhere called Phoenix. Okay, so they're leaving a place that's like Eden. And Paul says before they leave, look, if we leave this place, we're going to die. Like Paul has sailed most of his life. He, he can see the signs and he says, we're going we're gonna to die if we leave. But they go anyways. And where do they sail to? Where they're sailing to Phoenix. What's, a phoenix is a mythological bird that when it dies in the ashes, it is reborn. So they're leaving a place of safety to enter into the fire to be reborn. And on their, on, when they're on their way there, a tempestuous storm called the Northeastern hits them. And it's a storm, it's a chaotic storm uh, that w- where the wind is coming from one side and from the other and whatever is in its way. I mean, it is just massive chaos. This is all meant to make us think of a leaving of Eden. And he said, hey, we shouldn't leave. Like, we shouldn't leave Eden, but we're going and we're going to die. And now they're in the storm. And the scene is this. It's an obedient missionary. And every time he obeys God... It gets worse, not better. And we think of Jonah, who ran from God, and God keeps saving him. And yet Paul is obeying God, and it's going to lead to his death. But for Paul, which we're going to discover today, is that's okay. He's ready for it, because he knows what his future is, and he knows it's secure. So 
I'm going to read our verses to you. Um, we normally don't do Q&A on, on communion Sundays, but we're going to do it today because of the topic. So if you have questions throughout the sermon, my number should be up on the screen. You can text me. Uh, and, and I don't want to take lightly what we talk about. I know what a lot of you are going through, and I want to address your questions if you have them. And I hope you do. So please get the questions in as we're walking through this. So here's our verses, chapter 27, verses 12 through 34. And because the harbor, this is in Fair Havens, was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, along to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeastern struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cod, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Certus, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And then when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you have listened, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven in across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. And a little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out acres from the, bu- from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. All right, we are going to look at three things when we face trials and storms. We're going to look at the tension that we experience in the trial, the purpose of pain, and the belonging when things are breaking around you. You're belonging to something. So we're looking at the tension, the purpose, and the belonging. And when we look at the tension, I want you to see here in these verses that there is a paradox. 
And there's a lot of paradoxes throughout the Bible. And you've got a couple choices when you come to a paradox in the Bible. Either people say something like this. See, this is a paradox. It doesn't make any sense. That's how I know it. The Bible is not to be trusted. Or you can look at the paradox and you can say there's a mystery here. There's a deeper and higher truth that I'm going to investigate. And when you find a paradox throughout the Bible, what you have is a tension. You have two truths that seem to be opposite. And if you will hold those two truths tight, like like this golden string, and if you hold them tight enough, you could pluck that string and it will ring out a note of truth. And that is what we see today. And here is the tension. The sovereignty of God and human responsibility. The sovereignty of God, which says that God is in control of all things. He is ruling and reigning, and there is not a thing that happens on this earth or in your life that God is not in control of. Yet, at the same time, the Bible talks about human responsibility, which means you are responsible for your choices, and they will have effects throughout your life. You are 100% responsible, and God is 100% sovereign, both at the same time. Now, let me show you where this is. It says in verse 10, which we didn't read, Paul says, look, if we leave fair havens, we're going to die. So they leave fair havens. And then Paul is visited by an angel. And the angel says, Paul, it's okay. You're not going to die. Paul's like, okay, good. And then these sailors are about to abandon ship. They're about to jump on a little tiny boat that's connected to the ship and and, and just get away. And Paul says, we're going to die if they leave. So we're not, we're going to die. We're not going to die. And we're going to die. Now, Paul could have said, Hey, the angel told me we're going to be fine. Let the sailors go. But he doesn't. He says, if we let them go, we're all going to die. And this is the tension, human responsibility and the sovereignty of God, both happening at the same time. Now, the human responsibility, which is we are in control of our choices and they have consequences And then this other side where God is completely in control, this is not just in the Bible. The thinkers all throughout history and in Paul's time, they're wrestling with the question, is everything already determined or is the future open to us? So the Stoics, which were during Paul's time, said everything is absolutely determined. So the key to life is to be whatever God throws at you. Or well, this, well, the Stoics didn't say that. But whatever is thrown at you, be content about it. Learn to be happy with the way your life is because it's been determined to be that way. So right now, if I fell off of the stage, I should just say, well, I'm glad that's over with. Because it's already been determined that that would happen. So I just need to be content with it. The Epicureans, the other side of this, these other thinkers say, no, the future is wide open. Make your choices. You determine your future. So who is right? Well, this tension is also found in the Bible like we've been talking about. And what it, what it has done is it has led to two different branches of theology. Now, I'm going to talk about these branches, and then I'm going to tell you why I'm talking about them. The first branch is Calvinism, and the second branch is Arminianism. Calvinism says that God chooses you. Arminianism says that you choose God. And the reason I'm talking about both of these is because I know you guys, and I know that a lot of us come from very different backgrounds. So I want you guys to respect each other and the backgrounds that you come from. And here is why. So if you come from the Calvinistic side, you are going to stress the sovereignty of God. 
your starting point is going to be a sovereign God. And when you read scripture with the starting point of God is sovereign and you make that your centerpiece, you're going to read the Bible and you're going to say, it is very clear to me that God has chosen me. I could not have chosen him. But then if, you, if you're stressing the human responsibility part, you're going to read the Bible and you're going to say, well, the Bible clearly says knock and the door is open. So clearly I am the one that is choosing God. So which is it? Do you determine your destiny or does your detest, de- destiny determine you? you know, the, the Bible talks, we, we see like Christ is like the hound of heaven. So he's chasing you down and he's going to get you. Sovereignty of God. But you better let him get you, human responsibility. But if you don't let him get you and he has chosen you, he's going to get you. But you have to let him get you. You see? So it's this attention that we've got to feel. And I fall on more of the Calvinistic side, and here's why. Because the Bible says that we are dead in our sins. And a dead person cannot choose God. So God is making the first move. He's making us come alive. But then, look, you have to hold both of these in tension. Like, like, and here is why this is important for your everyday, ordinary life. Because temptation is coming. Paul is facing it. Paul would like to be like Jonah, potentially, and just go ahead and walk away from this mission that God has given him to spread the gospel over all the earth. He's living with that temptation every day. It's a trial that he's facing every single day. So when I have a sin in my life that won't go away, here's what I do. I go to my sovereign God and I say, God, why aren't you making this go away? Because I would really like it to leave. I'm tired of my sin. I don't want to do it anymore. So I just wish you would go ahead and make me the version of me that I'm meant to become. It's all up to him. But then I read the Bible and it says that it's my responsibility to leave my sin behind. All right, so what has that just done to me? I know that I can't do this without God, but I've been called to stop. So what this does is this creates a tremendous amount of dependence for me to depend on God so that I can look at temptation and walk away from it because I am 100% dependent upon God. And you will never arrive at that conclusion if you do not hold these two truths in tension. So if you are a black and white person, like you don't like the gray areas, that's good. We need people like you to tell the gray people to stop like just like, you gotta arrive at some kind of truth at some point. So, okay, but here's the problem if you're black and white. You're going to see a paradox in the Bible, and it is going to drive you absolutely crazy. It's going to clutter your mind, and you're going to want to clean it all up. And if you clean it up too quickly, you're going to miss out on a mystery, and you're going to say, this is just the way it is. But if you'll leave space, and you'll leave space for the mystery, maybe finally in 20 years from now, you'll actually get it but it doesn't matter if you get it or not. If the Bible says it, it's true. So you hold that intention and you live like God is sovereign and you are responsible all at the same time. And that is when you will finally be dependent on God. Our culture today is also wrestling with this tension. 
And I love to read self-help books and success books because it gives me an idea of what the culture is thinking today. So here is what I've seen come out a lot. And these like business books, these success books, they're, they're, they're saying things like this. They're focusing on human responsibility only. And it, and it sounds something like this. When you face trials and you fail, whether it's your business or your life or your marriage or whatever it is, when you fail, take 100% responsibility for it. It's on you. Even if you are the victim of something, take 100% of the responsibility because if you do, then, well, that's empowering. Yes, you messed up and it hurts, but you could have done something, which means you can change you. And that's empowering. You can't change others, but you can change you. So you're like, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. So, so some thinkers that do that today, Jordan Peterson is one of them. Um, David Goggins is another one. And a guy named Jocko, who is like this Navy SEAL guy. And there's another, uh, there's another guy that wrote this book. It, it has an expletive in it. And, but but um, in the title. But here's the problem with this. If you do not understand that there is a God and he is sovereign, then the failure actually might have been God's doing. And he might actually be wanting you to go in a different direction in your life. But if you don't understand that also that there is a sovereign God who's in control, you might miss out on a beautiful door to walk through where you discover something you never would have discovered if the failure didn't come. All right, let's get a little deeper. Let's talk about suffering in this tension. So one of these books says, if you lose your child, like your child passes away, it says, you're responsible with how you respond to this. Like, okay, well, that makes sense, that's true, but it also feels a little harsh because the tension is not being pulled enough. Here's what happens to you. If you take human responsibility 100% all the way without the sovereignty of God in that situation is you're going to look back and you're going to say, before anything happened to my child, I should have foreseen things. I should have known things and I didn't. And then you're going to begin to blame yourself for it all. And then you're going to turn into someone who is terrified of every situation. And then you're going to look out at your future and all you're going to see is threats and it will paralyze you. It will make you unmovable and you will do nothing with your life because everything becomes a threat now. So you have to understand there's a sovereign God who's in control and you don't understand what's happening, but what you do know is that he's good and he can soothe you, he can comfort you, and he can strengthen you. And he's, he's doing something that you don't yet understand. So I felt this tension um, right before my son Cruz was diagnosed with autoimmune encephalitis. Um, what was happening is he started um, deteriorating in his mind. And as this was happening, I was calling doctors to try to figure out what's going on, and none of the doctors would see us. And he continued to get worse. And they said, well, we'll see you in three months. I'm like, oh, we don't have three months. He's continuing to get worse. And no one would see us. So finally, I said, you know what? I have to take responsibility here. I'm his father, I have to fight for him. So we drove down to Miami Children's Hospital, and I said, we're not leaving until he sees a team of specialists. And they saw him. We got the diagnosis. And then, then I realized, wow, well, this isn't good because 
Before, I had an idea of what was happening, and when we would talk to the doctors, they were confident they knew what to do. But now that we're talking to the doctors that really know a lot, they're saying, we don't really know a lot about what to do here. Okay, that's great. So let me do some research. So I'm in the dark just trying to research as much as I can to try to figure out what to do to help my son. I got to fight for him. I'm his dad. And I'm fighting and I'm learning. And every spare minute I have, I'm just researching. And it came to the point to where I knew I'm in the dark here. I don't know what to do to help him. And I could have become paralyzed, but instead I said, God, he's yours. You love him. As much as I love him, you somehow love him more. And you're in control, and I know you're good, so just take care of him, and I trust you. And that was the path. So then we asked this question, all right, well, why is God allowing this to happen to him? How is this suffering happening if God is good? And I tell you, this is the number one reason when I talk to, to skeptical people, skeptical of Christianity, this is number one reason why. So now we come to the purpose of pain. You will not trust God if you do not believe that there is purpose in the pain. Paul believed it. And that is why Paul could face the trials that he faced and he could be in the storm and he was cool, calm, and collected because he knew something that there are two purposes in the pain he is going through. And the first is that there is good that's going to come out of this. And the second is that it will be for his growth as well. So good and growth. And we know that Paul believes this because he says in Romans 8.28 that whenever you face suffering of any kind or trials of any kind, when it comes at you, that God will work all things out for the good of those who love him. It's going to work out for good. And Paul knows it. That's his theology. And the writer of Forrest Gump also has that theology. Because if you look at the story of Forrest Gump, he starts off with these bad legs. He's got to wear braces on his legs. Everyone's making fun of him for these braces. And you think, poor, poor Forrest. And then it's finally when the braces come off, you see he can run really fast. And this leads to him to get a college scholarship. This leads to him saving his friends in war. And this leads to, to his own fame for running across America. And then Forrest decides he's going to start a shrimp boat company with his friend, Lieutenant Dan. So they start the shrimp boat company. And they go out into the ocean, and they are very unsuccessful. Until one day, a storm comes. And they're in the middle of this storm out at sea, and they're fighting to survive. And they do, and they get back to the harbor, and when they get back there, all the other boats are wrecked, which means nobody can go get the shrimp except for them. And then they finally become successful, and they have the most successful shrimp company in all of America, the sovereignty of God. When you think about Christ, like you see this, Jesus on the cross, the Son of God crucified, and you've got to think... If you're a logical person, this is the worst thing that has ever happened in all of the world. And yet God would use it to become the best thing that would ever happen in all of the world. So that means always in your suffering that God is up to something good, even if you can't see it. And it's not just things are working out for your good, but also for your growth. The phoenix has to be burned, 
turn to ashes to rise up and be reborn. If you're in a storm and you survive it, the winds will have sailed you to your destination much quicker, which means that your suffering is going to grow you. In fact, your suffering will even save you and lead to your salvation. I'm not saying the suffering does it. I'm saying the pairing of Christ and your suffering is what saves you. Not that you need Christ and suffering. I want to be clear, but your suffering will lead to your salvation if you go running to Christ. So let, let me read this to you. Paul says, let me, I'm going to prove this. Paul says, not a hair of your head is going to be harmed. Now, this is an echo of Jesus. The writer of, the, the writer of Acts is Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, here, let me read to you what Jesus says. He says, to his disciples, talking about their future, some of you will be put to death. That happened to all of them except one. But not a hair of your head will perish. Well, there's a paradox. Must be a deeper truth there. But in patient endurance you will possess your soul. Suffering with patient endurance, relying on Christ, makes you possess your soul and your soul is saved through it. Before Cruz got sick, I was possessed by something. And this thing, I found my identity in it. I found my worth in it. I found my value in it. Anything I was worth came from this thing. And this thing was called the grove. And I was possessed by it. I found everything that, like, like if, if I was upset or if I felt restless, uh, a restlessness in me, I just had to go and work, and I could feel better. And all of that continued to happen until Cruz got sick. And then I didn't care about the Grove anymore in the best way possible, meaning I was no longer defined by the success of the Grove because when the Grove was successful, I felt successful. And when the Grove wasn't successful, I felt like a failure, but I was now free from that. And when I became free from that, I became a much better pastor because before that, I needed you in a way that was unhealthy. I needed you to love me. I needed you to be awesome so that I could feel successful. But now I've been for the most part freed of that which means I can serve you far better and love you far better and be a far better pastor than I could have. And so, so look at what God has done through my suffering, my family's suffering, Cruz's suffering. God has brought about his glory in your good. And I would never choose it, but I'm not in control of that. God is, and I trust him. And it was a long road. I mean, there was a lot of shaking my fist at God, like, how dare you do this? But I trust him because he's good. And and I know something else. Not a hair on his head will perish, which means that this isn't the end of his story. There's more to come. And there is a version of Cruz that I will one day see, whether it's in this life or in eternity, and I will see him and he will be exactly as God has meant him to be. And I will rejoice at that day and to see what God has done to him. And knowing all of that, that helps you through suffering. But you still need something else. You need to know that he's with you when you're breaking or everything else around you is breaking. He won't forsake you. This is our last point, belonging in the breaking. 
in verse 22, Paul knows the ship is going to break. But he says, but I belong to God. And that gives him comfort even when the ship is going to break. In other words, when the flood of suffering comes, it's like he's Noah. And he boards the boat of the ship who is Christ. And Christ becomes the ark that keeps him up above the waters of suffering and death and pain and loss. It's not that he's not going to face it all. It's surrounding him. But still, he has a safe haven, a fair havens around him in the midst of the storm. And Paul knows that. And that's why he's cool, calm, and collected. And look, maybe you do feel broken. And if you do, that's okay, because Christ was actually broken on the cross, buried in death and hell, and he rose up out of it so he could put you back together again. He's with you through this life, and every time you break, he puts you back together, better than you were before. And he won't abandon you. You know, the sailors on the ship, they were ready to leave. They were ready to get on this little boat and just get away. But Christ doesn't do that. He stays. You know, they cut the cords to get rid of the boat. Christ cut the cords a long time ago. He was never going to leave you. That boat was never there as a safety precaution. The cross was always his way, and he was always going to face it for you. And and, and this means this. He was always entering into the suffering to be with you in it. He is the ship that sailed from the fair havens of Eden, the fair havens of heaven, and he's come out into the storm to be with you, to be the ship that surrounds you, the ship that will never leave you or forsake you, to be with you through it all. And that is a comforting truth. And I I want you to know this. When you suffer, when you're in pain, when you feel lost, when you feel heartbroken, you need your friends. And you need to let your friends be there for you. But I want you to know something you're still going to be lonely because they don't really know what you're going through all the way. None of you have had a child with autoimmune encephalitis. Not everybody has a child with autism. Not everybody has your version of cancer. Not everybody has the burdens that you bear. And even when you find somebody that does, it's always going to be a little bit different because your story is your own. But Christ, he came and entered into your story. And he has woven you into his. And what that means is he knows absolutely everything that you are going through. And he's felt the weight of it all. We are told that in the Bible that for 40 days he was tempted in absolutely every single way. So if he's been tempted in every single way, then he knows just what you're going through. And he knows the feeling of when you are suffering and that feeling where you want to shake your fist at God. He knows what it feels like. He knows what it feels like to actually be abandoned so that you will never be abandoned. See, here's the, here's the trick of Christianity. On the cross, Christ was absolutely abandoned in your place so that you never will be. Even when it feels like you're abandoned, he will not forsake you. He's there all the way until the end, and he's not going anywhere. So it means you can identify with him. It means he knows what you're going through. And on the cross, when he's abandoned, he cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he feels complete abandonment and loss so that you will never have to cry those words out. He'll always be with you.
And he said something else on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's praying for you. When we, humanity has abandoned him, he prays, Father, don't leave them even though they've left me. Don't let them go. And then because the perfection and the beauty and the obedience of Christ, the Father raises him from the dead, and then he comes for us. Like the hound of heaven, who will not leave us even when we try to run from him? He will not let you go. He fights for you in the suffering, in the trial, in the loss, in the heartbreak, all of it. He's fighting. And when you're in the storm, he's with you. And he will never leave you or forsake you. He, when you are in the storm, know that he is greater than the storm. Let's pray. Father, you know the wounds we have, the trials we face, the trials we have faced, the trials we will face in our life. And so help us to be people who rejoice when times are good and to fight when times are hard. And that fight, we would see that fight, fighting looks like depending on you more than ever we have before. When we want to run, when we want to shake our fist, and when we do shake our fist at you, I just pray, God, that you would look down at us with a smile and just whisper in our soul, I've got you and it's going to be okay. Just keep telling us, please, God, we need to be reminded. Help us trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Someone said they love me. I love you too. It's a verse that has helped somebody. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Oh, okay. I got to tell you this. So watch this. So we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, because he was crushed in our place. We are perplexed, but not despaired, because he felt the weight of all of despair, so we wouldn't have to. He was persecuted, persecuted, but not abandoned, because he was abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed, because he was destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Well, that's cool. How much do you think Paul and Luke's friendship was strengthened going through this trial? Um, so here's what I found with Paul. Paul starts his ministry like this rugged individual, like I don't need any friends. He's got this friend Mark that he's in ministry with, and Mark does something to make him mad. So he's just like, get out of here, Mark. You go with Barnabas. I'm done with you. And then at the end of Paul's ministry, when he's coming close to his death, he becomes incredibly needy. Like he's like this great leader that everybody's like, this is potentially the greatest leader that there has ever been. And he becomes so needy for his friends that he's like, can you please send me Mark? Like he's in jail and he said, someone send me Mark, please. And he's just like he abandoned Mark. And now he's like, come back. Like I need Mark. I need my friends. Um, so it's a really funny thing. But oh, yes, trials. Sorry for the microphone singers. The, the trials... The trials will definitely um, bind you to people. 
And that's why when you find someone that's suffering similar to the way you are, you're like, oh, you too? And then it becomes like you can suffer together. And somehow, it's like you put two people suffering together, that's a bad idea. No, actually somehow, strangely, it's helpful, especially if you have Christ in the center of it. So yes, I think they were bound to each other after that. Knowing prayer will not lead God to intervene. How do you pray to someone? How do you pray to someone you don't trust? Meaning God, I guess. I desperately want to connect with God, but struggle to find the words. That's a good start. God, I'm having a hard time connecting to you, and I don't know the words to say. So start there. That's a good start. Um, And be honest with them. Like, God, I don't trust you right now. You have to come and deal with me. This is where I'm at. Can you meet me here? Like, it's like we try to pretend to God when we go to him, like, okay, I, I got it together now. You can come and talk to me. And he doesn't want to talk to you then. He wants to talk to you when you're like, I don't have it all together. And he's like, finally, you've asked me for some help. I'm ready to help you. Um, one way to pray is to pray through the Psalms. So the Psalms are this, this beautiful gift from God. It's like, For a bunch of us who don't know, we have these feelings inside, we have these thoughts inside, and we don't know how to make sense of them. And God says, all right, I see how you're struggling. Here are some words that you can pray back to me. So it's like God is giving us our words. So if you feel like God is, like you're not trusting him, well, there's a lot of Psalms who say that. Now, here's what you need to know about the psalmists. These are leaders in churches you could say these are like the great leaders who are writing songs back in the day the people that everyone are like can you help me with my relationship with god and they're crying out god where are you they're crying out god how could you leave me so they're giving you all the words you need um psalm 42 psalm 43 it's like this is a songwriter who's saying god um Hope feels lost, but I'm going to hope in you anyways. I'm panting for you. Where are you? But I'm going to continue to hope in you. And then you've got Psalm 88, which is the only psalm that doesn't end with hope. And so if you're somebody right now that cannot feel like you can find hope, the way that this psalm ends is darkness is my only friend. And that's how it ends. And you're like, where's the hope? Sometimes you just need to know that somebody's going through what you're going through. And you read a psalm like that and you're like, okay, it's not just me. Um, so, so pray through the Psalms um, when you're praying to God whom at the moment you're not trusting. All right, because we're doing communion, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here. I don't really want to because I'm looking at these questions and I want to keep going, but we need to stop. So who, if I didn't get to your question, I'll text you later today. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at the Grove Church Official, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.